Hello and welcome to season three of Family Twist, a podcast about DNA surprises, found family, and amazing adoption stories. I'm Kendall Austin Stulse, and my partner is Corey Stulse. We've had fabulous guests during seasons one and two. We're sharing stories of people who identify as NPEs, also called not parent expected, others who found out they were donor conceived and have surprise siblings, and even others with unique family twists. We started this podcast to spotlight Kendall's adoption story and his discovering both sides of his biological family in 2017. So if you're just finding the podcast, we encourage you to start with episode one to learn more about Kendall's journey. Thank you for listening. Thanks for joining us again on Family Twist. We're all a little bit giddy today, so I think this is going to be a good one. (laughs) We've got Kenny, Ricky, and Jules with us, and they host a podcast called Luke, Who Is Your Father? And you'll soon find out why they named their podcast that. Welcome to the show. Thank you. We're so excited to be here. (laughs) So excited. (laughs) So... It almost feels like deja vu for some reason, (laughs) but I can't put my finger on why. You guys have an amazing story, which we know quite a bit about, but our audience doesn't. So who would like to begin and where do you want to start? I think we usually start with Miss Ricky, just because she has a little bit more of the Mm, origin story. Yeah, I'm the most holistic of the three of us. The most holistic picture, (laughs) if you will. So we are triplets separated at birth. I stayed with our birth mother and Julianne and Kendall were adopted as twins. So that's why we say I have the more holistic picture. So our mom or our birth mom found out at seven months pregnant. She was pregnant with triplets. She was deaf. My dad was 58 years old at the time and not in great health. And they did not have an ideal financial situation. Like they definitely figured out how to swing it for one baby because she wanted one, but they had not figured out how to swing it for three. So they found out that she was pregnant with triplets at seven months when she went in for like a routine checkup. She hadn't had very consistent prenatal care Mm. up to that point because she had been inseminated by one doctor and then having prenatal care with another. And this was so unprecedented that it did change policy for both doctor's offices. But yeah, when she went and got measured, they said, oh, we need to have an ultrasound. You are measuring at 32 and you're 28 weeks and you're supposed to be measuring at 28 weeks. And that's when they dropped those big old bombs on her. (laughs) Now, it's pretty unusual when somebody gets inseminated for there to be multiple babies, right? I think today it is almost unheard of. She was 35, so she was having to take fertility drugs. And I think that you have to, regardless, anytime that you're going to do IUI or IVF or freeze embryos or anything like that. But she was given a fertility drug that gave her a 5% chance of having twins. So they weren't especially concerned about it. I need to kind of read up on the the policy today because people have been very eager to tell me on TikTok (laughs) (laughs) that multiples do not occur frequently with insemination. And I don't know if parents are still permitted to split up multiples Mm -hmm. anymore. Mm -hmm. But I'll look into it. And this is off topic, but multiples are more common with IVF, right? Or... I feel like they're more... Anyways, yeah, moving on, yeah. I think it's super uncommon with insemination, though. So I thought it was pretty interesting, and Ricky, you can go into this, how your mother decided to split up the babies and her due diligence in finding the right family to adopt. Yeah, so we'll let Kendall tell this story because it's her favorite, (laughs) but she was very adamant about not splitting up identicals. 
But again, her testing just across the board was pretty subpar because they did tell her that there were no identicals. Mm -hmm. So she was left to get creative to make the choice. And Kendall, do you want to tell us how she did it? Yeah, we actually didn't know this. I think I asked Kathleen when I was, I think, like 17. She was visiting us in Colorado. And I asked her, like, I don't care either way. Like, I have never felt any certain way about this. But like, how did you choose? Because that's like an impossible choice. And she actually said that. Me and you. Yes. Ricky and I were breach and Julianne was head down. And because we're triplets and we were kind of like sardine packed in there, they said that that would not change for the whole pregnancy. We were going to stay in those positions. The whole rest of the pregnancy. <laughs> yeah, the rest of <laughs> the next month, six yeah. weeks. <laughs> um, and then I wiggled around to be head down with Julianne. And so she kind of took that as a sign that like we were meant to be together and she is going to keep Ricky. Wow. And then so, surprise. Yeah. And then that is so crazy, actually. I, I can't believe I that, like that every time we say it, it gets a little crazier to yeah. picture that happening because yeah. the lady was right. out to here. <laughs> and then as far as picking the family, she had a few families that she had interviewed and it was a very common theme when she would ask them why they were doing this and if they were okay having children that were not biologically theirs. Obviously, the mothers were gung-ho. A lot of the times it was because the mother could not, they just couldn't conceive naturally. But the fathers, or soon to be fathers, I guess, several times said, you know, I would prefer to have a baby of my own and I'm doing this for my wife. And then when she interviewed my parents, oh no, already, we always get a little mm. bit teary going over this because my father said, I don't care how I have babies. I just want to be a dad. And so that's how she picked my parents, Tina and Ken, to, to be the adoptive very, parents. Very, cool. Yeah. And that had actually been a long road mm. for them mm -hmm. as well. Obviously, my mom was finding out very, very late. They had been going through the adoption process for seven months. Seven years. Seven <laughs> years. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Tina had suffered a very serious, violent sexual assault when she was, I think, 16. 16 yeah. And so her and Ken started to try to have babies right away when they got married. And the doctor told her that she had a better chance of being struck by lightning twice than being mm. able to conceive. The assault had sent her into early wow. menopause. She was already going through menopause oh, at that wow. age. So they had two different adoption candidates over the course of the seven years. One would not reveal the father, the biological father. So they said we're at way too big of a risk of him surfacing mm -hmm. later. So we don't want to take that risk. And then they were on deck with another girl who I think she made it to like seven months or they were expecting the babies in two months. And then she came forward and said that she'd had an mm -hmm. abortion and the adoption agency requested paperwork as proof of that. She could not mm -hmm. provide it. And it ended up that she had never been pregnant. Wow. So, and I think they were working with the woman that my mom was working with, Sybil, and their trust was really broken with that adoption agency for good reason. Yeah. And then Sybil, I think, was probably super excited. She had the surest thing. She was like, there's a couple 40 minutes down the road. How would you feel about wow. twins in wow. two months? And they, they both said, yes. Yeah. Without even talking Separately to each other. Separately consulting each other. <laughs> That's how That's excited awesome. they were. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, what a traumatic experiences that they had to go through to becoming parents. So, wow. 
So who was the first to discover that indeed there were identical twins there and they weren't being raised together? (laughs) Oh man, that has been a long road. So I was kept with my birth parents. Julian and Kendall were adopted separately as twins. They grew up. I commented that on your TikTok once. Ricky is so cute. You've said birth parents. She was kept with her birth mom. True. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Which yeah. we'll get to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, kept with my birth mom and my dad. And I don't even remember finding out that we were triplets. It had been something my parents always told me. Tina and Ken had always sent over Christmas cards, letters, pictures of the girls growing up. It was technically a closed adoption because we were not in contact with Julianne and Kendall. And I think as my mom started to get more and more photos, (laughs) she, I think, sort of started to tell me, well, it looks like you guys are probably identical, which is like Mm. her worst nightmare, Mm -hmm. honestly. (laughs) So all through growing up and when we finally were able to meet each other, Julianne and I have had periods of looking very, very similar and very, very different because apparently epigenetics is actually Mm. a thing and identical (laughs) DNA does manifest itself differently when you're growing up in totally different environments. And so we just did a twin monozygosity test for the last episode of Luke, Who Is Your Father? Because I have always been pretty insistent that we're identical and they have always been pretty opposed to the idea, Kendall for obvious reasons (laughs) and Jules because she stands at about four inches taller than me. And we got the results in our email, deleted them out of our email immediately (laughs) Kendall had someone print off the like results we were at revealing work. the gender of our babies. <laughs> <laughs> and then we, yes, opened the results oh, on air. And it said that me and Julian were, in fact, wow. identical. So then we had to break that news to mm. my mom, who is not happy, but is unsurprised. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. Mm, goodness. So you guys didn't always necessarily know each other. And I feel like there might have been a little hesitancy with Kenny and Jules' parents about how close do we want to get because we don't want to take the chance of Kathleen saying, you know what? I changed my mind. Give me the girls back. Yeah, <laughs> right. So adoption started off fairly open and I'm not sure. I think they might've agreed to that at first. And so when we were like six months old, families got together and then there was a lot of stuff in the news at that time. And I don't know what the law is today, but apparently a birth mother for up to two years can, I hate this word, but reclaim her children. And there was a big news story about her birth mother, like snatching her baby back from the adoptive parents. And I think once they started getting that kind of in their head and started hearing more about that and then seeing us all together. Yeah, I think they did decide to close the adoption just because. And you, I mean, you can imagine they've been through seven years of this already and two fallen through adoptions already. And yeah, I think that my mom especially got very territorial in the best way mm-hmm. possible. She was being mm-hmm. mama bear. And that's why Kendall and I always knew that we were adopted. But I don't know. We were very happy. We didn't have a, a huge yearning desire to meet our birth parents. And then, yeah, they did. Keep, we did not know that we had another sister out there until we were okay, eight or nine. Wow. So how did that news get mm-hmm. out? Well, <laughs> <laughs> so we grew up on very different sides of the tracks. Again, my mom was completely deaf. My dad was an old dad. (laughs) (laughs) And I didn't grow up with many children around. 
So I was always kind of just like a little adult sidekick, a lot of adult, not a lot of exposure, friends, et cetera. Just a, a lonelier childhood. We lived on a farm in the middle of nowhere. So when my dad started to get really sick, first with prostate cancer, I started to get more and more curious about Julianne Kendall. And I remember just like pouring over the photos that Tina would send. And I finally asked my mom if I could write to Tina and Ken. And she said, yes, I just pay to see her navigating this situation. Um, But so I wrote to Tina and Ken and asked if Julianne and Kendall knew about me and if we could meet. (laughs) And they had written back and said no. And so then I... You sent her a letter that said no. (laughs) (laughs) Huge red letters. No. (laughs) No, they they wrote a letter that said that they had chosen not to divulge that up to that point. And it's definitely not something that they would be comfortable with, but they would be more than happy to keep us in the loop as far as what was going on with the girls. And then I hatched a master plan, (laughs) per usual. (laughs) And had my mom take me to an outlet mall for like back to school shopping that I knew was closer to where Julianne and Kendall lived. Just thinking that they would just be in the exact same place at the exact same time because I I thought I could just Mm -hmm. manifest it out of thin air. And malls. And I thought that you could meet anyone in a mall that that was from that place. (laughs) I wrote Josh Hartnett a 21 page fan letter when I was younger and then made my mom take me to the mall of America because he was from Minneapolis. (laughs) So I thought he would (laughs) surely be there. there. (laughs) Um, So we are in this outlet mall and I heard someone say, hi, Julianne. And I was like, oh my God, it's worked. They're in here. And I turn around and it was a girl my age talking to me thinking that I was Julianne. So my mom had to call Call her mom over and explain that they couldn't say anything ever, that we were triplets separated at birth, that Julian and Kendall did not know about me, that Tina and Ken would probably not be happy about the situation. And that girl never mm-hmm. said anything. And neither did her mom. We still don't know who that was. We were probably terrified. Again, the more and more we tell... That's what I'm thinking. The more and more we tell this, I'm like, maybe she thought that you were me and you were just spinning this loot that everyone was just insane. <laughs> just... Spinning a tall tale for some reason. I mean, bizarre. So my mom wrote Tina and Ken a letter and told them that that had happened. And I think that kind of lit a fire underneath them to reveal that sooner rather than later because they were in danger of the girls finding out from someone who was not. Right. It's actually kind of surprising that it didn't come out. Yeah. I'm shocked. Hi, it's Kendall. I just wanted to pause here for a moment to ask a quick favor. If you're able to safely look at your phone, not while driving, we would love it if you will subscribe to the podcast and if you'll give us a review. We'd love to hear what you think. Okay, back to the episode. (laughs) (laughs) I could not be more shocked that both that girl and her mom never said anything to this day. This was when you were still eight. Okay. So after you wrote the letter, yeah, after you got the no yeah. letter, and then yeah. my next plan is to let's yeah. go to the mall. <laughs> I was just bulldozing a path forward for myself. <laughs> Precocious little eight-year-old. <laughs> so how did your parents tell you? It was on New Year's, and they kind of took us. We have this cowboy chair that my dad would always read to us on. They took us over to the cowboy chair, and they were like, we have a gift to give you that cannot be unwrapped. And they showed us a picture of Ricky and they told us, you have another sister. She lives 40 minutes away. And how do you guys feel about this? (laughs) 
And it was crazy because the photo looked exactly like Julianne. It was so bizarre just seeing like, but like different clothes and different haircut and that kind of stuff. So it was just like clearly way, oh. yes. <laughs> way cuter and more fashionable than us. <laughs> we were still in the, the mom is oh. dressing us <laughs> matching phase. But yeah. And then I guess they took us separately and my dad talked to Julianne and my mom talked to me and she was like, how do you feel? And I was like, well, nerd, nerd. I was like, I'm unique. <laughs> <laughs> and then Julianne. I just said it felt like I was looking in a mirror. Yeah. Because it was, it was very jarring to see someone that looked literally exactly like me, but that I knew was right. not me. Was part of that yeah. story, did you realize right then that your biological mother was the person that Ricky was with. Did they explain that as part of the? Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, as opposed to right, me also being right. adopted. Yeah. Mm. <clears throat> I'm sure they, yeah, yeah I'm sure they told us at that, at that point, they probably told us the mm -hmm. whole story that she was deaf and kind of everything that led up to that. Mm -hmm. Cause up until then it wasn't ever like, they very much made it clear that if we ever did want to like find our biological mother, that they would help mm -hmm. us to do that. I think they wanted to make us feel like we had that option, even though like they were in they already knew her. her. <laughs> But <laughs> they had her address. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that was important because it gave you both as children sort of control over that situation, you know, mm -hmm. where you felt right. yeah. probably comfortable because of that. I think that was a really smart move. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how quickly did mm -hmm, you yeah. say that you wanted to meet Ricky? Took a while. I think Kendall and I, as we've kind of dug this stuff up, we've unearthed some things about ourselves and how we were feeling at that time. And Kendall and I grew up as mm -hmm. twins. We always had a little sidekick. Ricky is really, really good at making and keeping really good friends to this day. And we think that's because she did grow up as an only child and didn't have a lot of people around. Whereas Kendall and I always had each other. And I think we were very much in our little kind of bubble. So we did not have the same longing that Ricky did to all be together. So it took us a few years and there was this kind of series of events that led to that. Ricky's dad kept getting sicker and sicker. And I think that's when Kathleen was kind of losing hope just in general and hope that we would ever meet her. And then when he had a few days left, she had written and said that he was really, really sick. And this will be kind of our last try at this. And that's when my dad wrote Kathleen back. Oh, mm -hmm. Lordy. And he had also been diagnosed with mm. cancer at that time, but it was not, to our knowledge, very severe. So he said, the girls might not be ready for this, but sometimes we have to do things that we're not ready for. And if Ricky is about to lose her dad, we feel like she should at least gain her yeah, sisters yeah. and that they would start kind of putting things in motion to have us meet. And then we ended up, I ended up writing Ricky a letter for our birthday or something. And I said, we're ready to meet you. Here's my dad's cell phone. <laughs> Give him a call. Please call to make arrangements. <laughs> yes, please call to make arrangements. Wow. And also what was happening at that time was because my dad had passed away and we had been pen pals up to that moment. So Tina and Ken told the girls about me and then we had become pen pals. And as my dad passed away, like I said, we lived on a big farm and my mom was just having to upkeep this entire thing by herself. And it was like not in a... <laughs> It was not in a nice wow. place. Like, <laughs> um, just a dreary, low-income situation. And my dad was a, a protected veteran. 
So she knew that we were about to actually have any sort of money to do anything with. So she had asked if it would be okay if we moved to Missouri to be closer to her parents. And so she didn't have to take care of this farm on her own anymore. And so that is when we arranged to meet because we were going to be moving out of state. So... So kind of bittersweet, really. I mean, meeting for the first time and then, bye, Ricky. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that is kind of sad. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty, from the letters that I wrote at the time, it seemed pretty torturous. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not not to put down letter writing because I think it's become like a lost art, but was there not a phone on the farm when there was a lot of letter writing with the parents back and forth? (laughs) (laughs) I think that they just were not comfortable comfortable with that yet. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. It's yeah. Yeah. I think the delayed back and forth and not ever having to be on edge that someone would be placing an unexpected right. phone call. Yeah. Yeah. Cause gave them more prep time, gave them more control. Yeah. 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 You could think about what you wanted to say in response. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Which happened, yeah. mm-hmm. which happened a couple times. Yeah. We were going back through our letters and there are definitely parts that are erased. Wow. <laughs> Redacted. Wow. Redacted. Yes. Which is kind of amazing, actually. It's hilarious. What was that first meeting like? Technically second, because you met, well, you, the first time you met when y'all came up, Kathleen. And then, yeah. <laughs> or sentient. Yeah. <laughs> Kendall. It was really anticlimactic there was this big build-up we decided to meet at a mall (laughs) mall. (laughs) Um, and we were gonna go see a movie and then go out to dinner afterwards and i do remember when we first saw each other and the the running and big group hug and then it was just like we fell into place like we had been friends forever and the parents really did a good job of like hanging back because it was also the first time we'd met our birth mom Mm mm-hmm But they in no way wanted it to be about that. They wanted it to be about us meeting our sister. So they kind of just like hung back and just let us do our own thing. Gave us some money to go to Claire's and buy (laughs) some lip gloss. gloss, Because it's all very aging us horribly. (laughs) um, Some Gen Zers have to be listening to this being like, (laughs) what is a mall? And why were you there all the time? (laughs) Yeah. And then we went and saw the cinematic masterpiece that is mm-hmm. Daredevil with Ben Affleck and Jennifer Garner. And then we went to Old Chicago's, oh, got cool. pizza. Yeah, it was very super comfortable. Like Kendall said, very anticlimactic, but it was a huge deal for the parents, mm-hmm. both sides. Kathleen, and there's a lot of controversy when we talk about this on our podcast and on social media and people are the number one comment is how could you give up two Hmm. babies and keep one? And it's a little bit judgmental. People have kind of short mindedness when it comes to that. But Kathleen was really struggling with that. And we didn't know how much until we read these letters back. She was really, really torn up about that decision that she had had to make and almost made it seem like if she could go back, she would not do it because it was so hard. And then my parents had been so nervous about us having that kind of biological pull towards Kathleen or to Ricky and thinking that we would just up and leave if we had met them. But what that meeting resulted in is Kathleen coming Mm. to peace with her decision because she saw that we were loved and that we were in a good family and that we were okay and we were happy. And then my parents, we went home with them and we were so excited to have met Ricky, but very much still happy in our family situation. So it brought a lot of peace to the parents. What part of Missouri did you move to, Ricky? 
Oh, yeah. We have the Arkansas That's right. Connection. Well, I'm from Missouri. Corey's from Missouri. Um, I'm from Arkansas. So, yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes. I don't admit this very often. I don't really. <laughs> I get a little vague about <laughs> both where I lived in Colorado and Missouri. Well, we moved to Neosho, Missouri, in the Diamond, mm-hmm. Missouri okay. school district, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I love Arkansas. I've spent a lot of time in Fayetteville and Bentonville, and I used to want to get married at the oh, Glass yeah. Chapel. Yeah, that's, that's a thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yes, moved to, what is that? Southeast Missouri, I guess. Did not have a good time. (laughs) But so that is when the girl's parents actually really took over or stepped in, not took over as I was living with my mom as a single mom. And we finally had like a nice big house to run around. And it it was definitely a better situation geographically and financially at that time. But that's when I started to go visit Julianne and Kendall every summer. And their parents really opened their doors to me. I had a lot of coming of age experiences. (laughs) Their dad taught me how to drive. My mom has probably heard that and been like, I taught you how to drive. (laughs) When you were six. (laughs) When you were six. (laughs) But my mom was very anxious about teaching me how to drive. So I think that we avoided it as much as possible. Well, she also had like a ginormous truck that was a stick shift. (laughs) Like it wasn't an easy car to drive. I even tried to drive it after learning how to drive stick shift and I still could not do it. Like it was not an easy drive car. Yeah. So I was more excited when Ken stepped in and taught me how to drive and then I almost got it. um, Yeah. Yes, they really took over or yeah. contributed in a parental cool. role after That's that. Awesome. I'm sure you've got some great memories about those summers. Yeah. Yes. Oh, uh, so fun. Well, we really kind of didn't talk about how it was for Kenny and Jules to, or really maybe I should say Kathleen, what was it like for her to finally, we talked about the closure that she got, but was it awkward at that moment when you first met her? I don't remember even talking to her. I don't. We were so focused on meeting Ricky. I don't think he was awkward. Kathleen is kind of an awkward person. (laughs) Um, She... Uh, she's always been very careful to not step on any toes. Mm-hmm. So she's never wanted to kind of like reach out to us in a way that would feel like she's like trying to like be our mom right. or something. Yeah. But yeah, but I don't think the first meeting was really about getting to know her. I feel like we maybe got to know her a little better when we went and visited in mm-hmm. Missouri. And then we've found out through the podcast and everything that like, because I've always had a great relationship with Kathleen. We're very similar people. I am also very <laughs> awkward. Um, but we share like sweet tooths. Mm. We would always want to be like in and around water and like that kind of stuff. Really appreciate art and that kind of thing. And she was always like kind of standoffish with Julianne. And we found out it's because she's felt mm. so much guilt for so many years about separating the identical mm. twins. Yeah. Interviewing yeah. Kathleen for our podcast was the longest that I've ever sat down mm-hmm. and wow. spoken with her. Mm-hmm. 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 And she said it's because she just had always figured that Julianne right. was angry with her. Because also the girls had a little bit different relationship with their mm-hmm. parents as they grew up and were in high school. So with your relationship being a little bit more tenuous with your dad, mm-hmm. I think that that also really played into her just feeling really guilty and thinking and just right. projecting it mm-hmm. onto yeah. Jules. 
easy to have happen, I think. You know, I get it. I get uh, oh, it's, you know, no, no blame there. It's just, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You can't help it. You know, it's just the d- dynamics that are happening with the communication, you know. But Right. So getting to know each other over the years, even though there were short visits in the summer, I'm sure it was, was great. But when did you decide that, hey, we all want to be like super, super close together <laughs> geographically? Oh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It took a while. We had always kind of talked about it. Mm-hmm. A little bit. Ricky moved to Austin a decade ago for grad school. <laughs> and I kind of bopped around a little bit. I moved to Texas and moved to California. And then when I was in California, Kendall and I lost our dad. Well, and Ricky lost him too when two weeks before oh our high gosh. school graduation, which was really, really yeah. hard for all of us. And after that, I acted out in a way that these, you know, I just went through mm-hmm. a really tough time with substance abuse and um, just kind of self-sabotaging myself at any given opportunity. And so when I was in California, I was going mm-hmm. through it and I had been speaking with Ricky on the phone and she said, come down here, move to Austin. I had bought a house mm-hmm. in California, <laughs> move to Austin and we'll be together. We'll start kind of working on that. And I said, okay. And I pulled the trigger and I think I moved Within two like weeks, a okay. week, a month after that conversation. And Kendall had come to California to drive me down mm-hmm. to Austin. And she <laughs> met a boy in Austin and they were together for a little bit. And she decided to move to Austin to be with him, which did was not. A little, it was nine months. It was almost a year. <laughs> what did I say? A little, a little bit. bit. Oh, they like, were together for about two, a year. Potato, two weeks potato. later, I decided to move to Austin. So, so she, she took about a year and she decided to move to Austin to move in with him, which ended up falling through. And I know we're not supposed to cuss on your podcast. Yeah. But she said, I'm still going to come. And so that's how we ended up all being in Austin. And so we've all been here together for a couple Three years, years now. Yeah. yeah. That's so cool. Right? Yeah. Cause I had also bopped around. I moved from Colorado to California to live with Julianne for like 10 months. <laughs> and then I moved to Seattle cause I was in California. I was never supposed to be there for like longer than like three months or so. It was just kind of a transition spot. And I was either going to move to Austin oh, or cool. Seattle. And my aunt and uncle from Seattle were just like, you can come live with us. Wow. It's like, you live on a lake? Hell yeah. I yeah. love Seattle. Let's do it. And then, yeah, I ended up deciding to move to Austin. Homeboy broke up with me <laughs> a after, month before wow. I moved. After they had signed wow. a lease. After we signed a lease. And, wow. What a douche. Uh, yeah. yeah, that was really fun. Yeah. But wouldn't change yeah. it for the world. You know, Corey and I have been out here for five years now, and it's just, it is amazing to get to live. I live near two of my half siblings. I have six, but two is the most I could have in one spot, right? Yeah. And my dad is here, so that's (laughs) nice too. And then of course, my siblings' children. So it's a whole big group. So it's a lot of fun. So there's another guy in this story. We have not talked about the man who donated for you guys to be born. The facility that he used, did they have any information or were you able to get any information from them or was it completely like closed? Yeah. So how this worked. Yeah, we got to take this back now. (laughs) Was I did not know that we were conceived via sperm donor. Oh, okay. Until I was 13. My dad had always really been very adamant with my mom that she not tell me that because he did not want me to see him as any less of a father. So I think when he passed away and as I turned 13, (laughs) 
My mom saw it as sort of a coming of age rite of passage for me, maybe. We were driving in the truck and she handed me an article on artificial insemination and said, read it and tell me what you think. And I read it and was like, okay, (laughs) cool. I don't know. What do you mean? What do I think? Cool, cool procedure. (laughs) And she said, well, that is what we did. So then I said, are you telling me that Lee isn't my biological father? And she said, yes. And I stormed off into my room for the remainder of the evening, came back the next morning and kind of said that it was fine that I would be moving on through the rest of my life, knowing that my dad was my dad because he's the person that raised me. Looking back, I think I was more bothered by it than I wanted to Mm. admit at that time. That is when I started embodying an angsty Mm. teenager. (laughs) (laughs) The funniest part about this is Jules and Kendall do not, they know that they were never told that Lee was, this is so funny. It's the first time I'm on a podcast and I can see this tattoo of my parents (laughs) on their wedding days. (laughs) Um, They were never told that Lee was their biological father because then that would be a whole other layer to peel back because he was obviously not going to be with us for very long. And we don't remember ever having a conversation (laughs) about this when I found out. They don't remember their parents ever telling them like, hey, Ricky doesn't know this detail. Don't tell her. So we don't know what happened there. We need to ask Tina. I know. Let's call her during our break. (laughs) Okay, we will. So I didn't show a lot of interest in it until we got older. And I think when I was 18 and moving out, my mom gave me all of the sperm donor paperwork. He had donated anonymously, but you know, there's a huge Mm -hmm. packet of all the biological data on him and each family member. And he had to fill out like a whole sweet questionnaire. His answers were so sweet and hilarious. (laughs) Then as I was living in Austin and all of us just kept being crazy, having bad relationships with men, terrible things (laughs) happening to us. I was like, I'm just going to do a DNA test. Like I'm very curious about where we came from, why we are the way that we are. I need to just find something. So did a DNA test through Ancestry DNA. Sponsor. Yes. (laughs) 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 And then got the results back. We did find out then that we had a half sister that was on Ancestry DNA. Reached out to her. She knew that she had been conceived via artificial insemination. It was really not that big of a deal for it. We were old enough at that point where it wasn't like, let's get to know each other. We just kind of exchanged Instagrams and still follow each other today. And it's fun to see the similarities there. But it took about two years for someone to reach out on Ancestry DNA, a new match, and say, we have a really high DNA match percentage and I cannot figure out why. I'm really like all about this Mm. life, (laughs) you know? Some people are very into genealogy. These are my parents. These are my grandparents. What is your take, basically? And I thought that this was another sibling, another half sibling. And I was like, well, they're an adult reaching out. So I guess I should just be as straightforward as possible. And I said, well, the connection that we share on this site is my half sister. We were conceived via the same sperm donor. I saw that this person was an identical twin. So I said, I'm a triplet, so it's possible that multiples run in the sperm donor's family. And then I Mm. didn't hear back from them. And I was like, oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) But then a year after that, so this past December, I was leafing through those papers at the request of my fiance. And that is when I saw that our biological father's 
sister was an mm. identical twin. And I was like, hold on a second. <laughs> so I got back onto Ancestry DNA and said to this woman, Jenny, I said, I'm sorry I'm reaching back out after a year, but I'm just going through our sperm donor's paperwork and I see that his aunt is an identical twin, or his mom is an identical twin mm -hmm. also, obviously. Do you have a nephew that was born in this year, went to this college, studied this in school. And she just replied almost immediately and said, yes. And then signed off your great no. aunt Jenny. And I was like, wait, come back. <laughs> <laughs> so I sent her like a slew of messages that day, just being like, wait, do you have any more information? But da, 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 da. And she didn't answer it. I thought, well, I do think that she had put this together and was just waiting for me to unravel mm -hmm. the mystery. I think she really liked that element mm. of it, actually. And I thought that she wasn't responding because she didn't want to respond. It turns out she's like 87 and was right. on right. computer. So I'm sure she just got <laughs> off of the computer. She left the library. Um, is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh. So bad. The next day, that's when we really laid everything out and said, we're going to figure this out wow. today. So we found an obituary for like my great grandma or something and just traced mm. down the whole line to identify like what we thought would be the appropriate line of chil right. children. And then looked up every single one of them, everything we could find about them. Their names were all very nondescript besides one who was a Roman Stonebridge. Names have been changed mm -hmm. for anonymity's sake. <laughs> and found Roman online, and he is an artist. So he had a very public online profile, contact information to contact him, obviously, in case you want him to do mm -hmm. some art for you. I wish I could give you a real plug. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so there was a phone number listed, and I was like, I'm going to sleep on this, but I think I'm going to call that phone number tomorrow. Woke up, still wanted to do it called. He answered on the second ring, which I didn't expect. So that I had to be like, oh, what? I didn't plan what I was going to say here. <laughs> and I said, is this Roman? He said, yes. And I said, do you have a second? And he was like, depends on what you need. And I said, well, I'm sure you've heard a lot of crazy stories on the news about ancestry DNA and 23andMe. And he said, yeah. And I said, well, I think I'm your niece. And then I was like, oh, and I was conceived via sperm donation, not like an illicit right. secret family hidden niece. Right. <laughs> um, so then kind of revealed that I'd been speaking with Jenny. And then I said, is your brother mm -hmm. this person who was born at this time? I went to this college and studied this. And he said, yeah. And we talked for a while. He was so cool. And he said, well, I need to, I'm going to call you back. I have to call my brother <laughs> because... He didn't tell anyone uh, that he did this. And while everything you're saying is correct, I should probably verify that this is even something that he did. And he called me back in five minutes and said, wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so I had said, like, don't even worry about it. Because he said, I don't think he's going to be able to meet you. And I said, no, that's not. That's totally fine. If you could send over some photos from when he donated, like around that time and, and any other like stories or information. And he said, oh, no, he, he created an email address and he mm. wants you to email him. So I reached out. <laughs> when all of this DNA testing came out, this is what I've always thought about. Like if I had donated anything or committed a crime, <laughs> when DNA testing came out, that's like the first place that my brain would have gone. And I don't think that even occurred to him. So this was the first time after, what do we say, 30 years? 
35 35 years because his swimmers were on ice for a while that he had ever heard about any of this. And I'm sure Ricky will get more into that. But yeah, first time he heard. So you you were undoubtedly the first child of his to ever reach out. Wow. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I reached out. I had to write like a weird introduction email. Introducing. (laughs) I said, (laughs) I... Hi, Keith. Sorry for the surprise. And I wanted to make it really clear to him. And he said, for people listening to your podcast, thinking about maybe doing this, he said that it was really important to him that I made very clear my intentions right out of the gate. I said, I am not looking for any financial compensation or support. Here is my Instagram so that you can see that I live a nice, happy life. My dad passed away when I was younger and I found out about you when I was 13 and I've always been curious. And by the way, I'm a triplet. <laughs> And we exchanged a few emails back and forth where he expressed his surprise and then told me a little bit about him and his family and the way he chooses to live his life. And then when he went through my Instagram, I think that made him pretty emotional. That was when he was able Mm. to see the resemblance and be like, okay, this isn't a crazy lady scammer. And also just that we really chose to document our lives in a very similar way and was just really Mm. touched by a lot of the short videos that I put together in post. So that's when he really Mm. let it rip and started writing really, really kind letters and asked for a FaceTime. And we FaceTimed. And at that point, he hadn't really acknowledged the triplet thing. I think he was sort of willfully Mm. willing it away. (laughs) (laughs) And then when we got on FaceTime, I said, you know, when I talk about my sisters, those are your biological daughters as well. And he was like, yeah. Uh, And so, yeah, and then we knew, I told him that we had our confirmed half-sister, showed him her Instagram, just a lot of information on the kids' way all at once. And did he have biological children as well? I mean, that he knew about. (laughs) Yes, he is married and has two daughters of his own. So you've got at least three (laughs) half-sisters. Yeah, I think four. four. We can see one other one, but I guess we don't even know if it's a girl. Yeah. There's some some unidentified. There is a person who is our half sibling that like pops in and out of the cryobank mm-hmm. data. It's hmm. just, they create a profile and then they delete it. And then it, the user name is so vague that I right. cannot figure mm. out who wow. it is. Yeah. <laughs> so at least, well, let's see, triplets and then two and then two. So that's three, five, seven, wow. at least seven wow. offspring. Yeah. Did Keith ever say how often he donated? Yes. <laughs> a bunch. A lot. <laughs> he said he donated it. He doesn't know for sure. Um, <laughs> you can really tell in talking to him. I don't think he ever really thought that it would take. Right. Like, I think he thought it was a real gamble. But he said he donated at okay. least 10 times. Okay. Wow. So potentially more out there. So not like yeah. 90. <laughs> right. Well, we had somebody on earlier this season that has found like 70 plus. Yeah. 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 (laughs) We're clear on that front (laughs) for the most part. But yeah, I mean, we started talking to him and then I introduced him to Julianne and Kendall. And then we did actually arrange a meeting and Julianne and I went out and met him in late April. And how did that go? Went well. I I think I would say just another maybe anticlimactic. Mm. I'm not sure if that would be the way to put it. The strangest thing was definitely the Mm. likeness. The yeah. resemblance kind of looks a lot mm-hmm. like our mom. 
or their birth mom, my mom, Kathleen. And Julianne and I do also, but from when she was Mm -hmm. young. And then Kendall has borne the most resemblance to her as we have grown Mm up. I can see that. Yeah. (laughs) To see how much we looked like him, and obviously it was me and Julianne who were there, so we are identical, was Mm. crazy. Mm -hmm. We've never seen a man, really, that we've been related to besides my uncle. And then, yeah, I mean, we went and had lunch, and we went to the zoo, and there wasn't any, like, crazy familial or chemical connection or anything like that. I don't think either of us really felt any sort of puzzle piece slide into place as far as having a new father Mm -hmm. figure in our life or anything like that. Like, it definitely was like meeting a friend Mm -hmm. more than anything, but it was was totally chill. (laughs) Do you feel like you'll continue to have a relationship with him? Yeah, I'm the more active in terms of communication, just in general, of, of all of us, it did throw a little bit of a wrench in my cogs, if you will. I did not realize in going and meeting him that it would make me so upset about uh, my dad, yeah. Lee. Yeah. So uh, I've kept things a little bit more close to the vest and just had to really take the time to, because my dad passed away right. when I was so young, right. I think grieve him for the first time because during that meeting I was like, well, I really wish that this was my right, dad. Yeah. You know what I mean? I really wish that Lee was here. So that was difficult. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I'm sure communication will persist. I would anticipate it being, I don't know though. Like it could be such an ebb and a flow. Yeah. He just wished us all happy birthday mm-hmm. and sent us a nice gift card. Yeah. And <laughs> I'm sure it'll be holidays and yeah. keeping in touch, but I don't think anything. We also just hate texting and talking on the phone. So it's not right. easy to come into our lives <laughs> at this point. <laughs> Yeah, I think for me, it was more of the same, right? I think Ricky was going into this with a little bit more of an expectation, whereas this is normal for me to go meet someone that I'm related to, but that did not raise me. So I think for me, it was just more of that feeling like it would be meeting Mm -hmm. Kathleen. So less of an emotional roller coaster Mm -hmm. for me. But it was great. He did welcome us with such open arms and it doesn't always go that way. So we have a lot of appreciation. Has he told his family about the situation? They are supportive of him getting to know us. I don't think it's something that will ever be. We will certainly never meet them or anything Mm, like that. Yeah. Yeah. Does Mm. Kathleen have any Mm -hmm. interest in meeting him? He has interest in meeting Kathleen. I cannot express to you. My mom is definition of like a wallflower, super shy, very introverted, very Mm. self-conscious. I think the more that I think about her as we have done the podcast and gotten to know more about her and the feedback that we get, I think that my mom thinks that, I think that she thinks her defining characteristic is that she's a woman who gave up her children. So... I don't, she's not like a really confident mm-hmm. person in that way. She's tends to stay close to home, mm-hmm. keep people close. So I, I think that she would, but she's definitely not traveling to do it. She's not going right. out of her way, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they were both very interested hmm. to see photos of each other and be like, oh, we yeah. made, a made baby. babies. Yeah. <laughs> well, it sounds like there yeah. might be an event coming up that they might both attend, right? <laughs> um, wow. <laughs> Corey's just going to throw that out there. (laughs) So, yeah. Corey putting me on the spot. I have a massive, massive friend group. And my fiance, Colin, went to military boarding school and Mm. went to West Point. And so he has a massive, massive friend group. And my parents, or my mom and my stepdad, 
are very mm. religious. So we are keeping friends and family gathering oh, okay. separate. And we will probably keep it very, very mm -hmm. teensy, wow. teensy mm -hmm. tiny. Mm -hmm. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Smart. Yeah. Yeah. She's a politician, That's right. people. Diplomacy matters, <laughs> right. you know. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> well, again, this has just been fantastic. We love you guys. It's just, it's just so fun to talk to you and, and look at you and see the similarities. And kudos for doing the podcast. And you're going to do another season, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. We are. We have already started recording for season two. We hope to have you guys on it. In fact... I would love to get that scheduled. scheduled. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we, for the first season, we told our story, which was exhausting, transformative and exhausting. And so we wanted to kind of lay that foundation and moving forward, just like you guys, we will be interviewing others that have, we kind of want to lean more into the who is mm -hmm, your father yeah. kind of father relationship yeah. dynamic. So yes, we we have started recording. We'll probably air sometime in August. August, September. Yeah. August, September. And we're so excited. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us and great job on the podcast. And yeah, we can't wait to be guests on Luke, Who Is Your Father? Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Family Twist. We feature original music by Cosmic Afterthoughts. And Family Twist is presented by Savoir Faire Marketing Communications. Check out our website at familytwistpodcast.com for blog posts and all of our episodes. 